Chapter Four of My Southern Home, or The South and Its People. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. My Southern Home, or The South and Its People, by William Wells Brown. Chapter Four. During the palmy days of the South, forty years ago, if there was one class more thoroughly despised than another by the high-born, well-educated Southerner, it was the slave-trader who made his money by dealing in human cattle. A large number of the slave-traders were men of the North or free states, generally from the lower order who, getting a little money by their own hard toil, invested it in slaves purchased in Virginia, Maryland, or Kentucky, and sold them in the cotton, sugar, or rice-growing states. And yet the high-bred planter, through mismanagement or other causes, was compelled to sell his slaves, or some of them, at auction, or to let the sole buyer have them. Dr. Gaines's financial affairs being in an unfavorable condition, he yielded to the offers of a noted St. Louis trader by the name of Walker, this man was the terror of the whole southwest amongst the black population bond and free for it was not unfrequently that even free colored persons were kidnapped and carried to the far south and sold walker had no conscientious scruples for money was his god and he worshipped at no other altar an uncouth ill-bred hard-hearted man with no education Walker had started at St. Louis as a dray-driver, and ended as a wealthy slave-trader. The day was set for this man to come and purchase his stock, on which occasion Mrs. Gaines absented herself from the place, and even the doctor, although alone, felt deeply the humiliation. For myself, I sat and bit my lips with anger, as the vulgar trader said to the faithful man, "'Well, my boy,' What's your name? Sam. Sam, sir, is my name. Walker. How old are you, Sam? Sam. If I live to see next corn planting time, I'll be twenty-seven, or thirty, or thirty-five. I don't know which, sir. Walker. Ha, <laughs> Well, doctor, this is rather a green boy. Well, my fella. Are you sound? Sam. Yes, sir. I expect I is. Walker. Open your mouth, and let me see your teeth. I allus judge a nigger's age by his teeth, same as I does a hoss. Ah, pretty good set of grinders. Have you got a good appetite? Sam. Yes, sir. Walker. Can you eat your allowance? Sam. Yes, sir, when I can get it. Walker. Get out on the floor and dance. I want to see if you are supple. Sam. I don't like to dance. I has got religion. Walker. Oh, ho! you've got religion, have you? That's so much the better. I likes to deal in the gospel. I think he'll suit me. Now, my gal, what's your name? Sally. I's Big Sally, sir. 
Walker. How old are you, Sally? Sally. I don't know, sir, but I heard once that I was born at sweet potato digging time. Walker. <laughs> don't you know how old you are? Don't you know who made you? Sally. I have heard who it was in the Bible that made me, but I don't forget the gentleman's name. Walker. <laughs> well, doctor, this is the greenest lot of niggers I've seen for some time. The last remark struck the doctor deeply, for he had just taken Sally for debt, and therefore he was not responsible for her ignorance, and he frankly told him so. "'This is an unpleasant business for me, Mr. Walker,' said the doctor. "'But you may have Sam for one thousand dollars, and Sally for nine hundred. They are worth all I ask for them. I never banter, Mr. Walker.' "'There they are. You can take them at that price?' or let them alone, just as you please. Walker. Well, doctor, I reckon I'll take them. But it's all they are worth. I'll put the handcuffs on them, and then I'll pay you. I likes to go according to Scripter. Scripter says, if eating meat will offend your brother, you must quit it. And I say, if leaving your slaves without the handcuffs will make them run away, you must put the handcuffs on them. Now, Sam, don't you and Sally cry. I am a tender heart, and it always makes me feel bad to see people crying. Don't cry, and the first place I get to, I'll buy each of you a great big ginger cake. That I will. And with the last remark, the trader took from a small satchel two pairs of handcuffs, putting them on, and with a laugh said, Nah, you look better with the ornaments on. Just then the doctor remarked, there comes Mr. Pension. Walker, looking out and seeing the man of God, said, It is Mr. Pension, as I live, just the very man I wants to see. And as the reverend gentleman entered, the trader grasped his hand, saying, Why, how do you do, Mr. Pension? What in the name of Jehu brings you down here to Muddy Creek? Any camp meetings, revival meetings, deathbed scenes, or anything else in your line going on down here? How is religion prospering now, Mr. Pension? I always like to hear about religion. Mr. Pension Well, Mr. Walker, the Lord's work is in good condition everywhere now. I tell you, Mr. Walker, I've been in the gospel ministry these thirteen years, and I am satisfied that the heart of man is full of sin and desperately wicked. This is a wicked world, Mr. Walker, a wicked world, and we ought all of us to have religion. Religion is a good thing to live by, and we all want it when we die. Yes, sir, when the great trumpet blows, we ought to be ready. And a man in your business of buying and selling slaves needs religion more than anybody else, for it makes you treat your people as you should. Now, there is Mr. Haskins. He is a slave trader, like yourself. Well, I converted him. Before he got religion, he was one of the worst men to his niggers I ever saw. His heart was as hard as stone. But religion has made his heart as soft as a piece of cotton. Before I converted him, he would sell husbands from their wives and seem to take delight in it. But now he won't sell a man from his wife, if he can get anyone to buy both of them together. I tell you, sir, 
Religion has done a wonderful work for him. Walker. I know, Mr. Pynchon, that I ought to have religion, and I feel that I am a great sinner. And whenever I get with good pious people like you and the doctor, it always makes me feel that I am a desperate sinner. I feel it the more, because I've got a religious turn of mind. I know that I would be happier with religion, and the first spare time I get, I am going to try to get it. I'll go to a protracted meeting, and I won't stop till I get religion. The departure of the trader with his property left a sadness even amongst the white members of the family, and special sympathy was felt for Hannah for the loss of her husband by the sale. However, Mrs. Gaines took it coolly, for as Sam was a field hand, she had often said she wanted her to have one of the house servants, and as Cato was without a wife, this seemed to favor her plans. Therefore, a week later, as Hannah entered the sitting-room one evening, she said to her, "'You need not tell me, Hannah, that you don't want another husband. I know better. Your master has sold Sam, and he's gone down the river, and you'll never see him again. So go and put on your calico dress, and meet me in the kitchen. I intend for you to jump the broomstick with Cato. You need not tell me you don't want another man.' I know there's no woman living that can be happy and satisfied without a husband. Hannah said, Oh, missus, I don't want to jump the broomstick with Cato. I don't love Cato. I can't love him. Mrs. Gaines. Shut up this moment. What do you know about love? I didn't love your master when I married him. And people don't marry for love now. So go and put on your calico dress and meet me in the kitchen. As the servant left for the kitchen, the mistress remarked, I am glad that the doctor has sold Sam, for now I'll have her marry Cato, and I'll have them both in the house under my eyes. As Hannah entered the kitchen, she said, Oh, Cato, do go and tell Mrs. that you don't want to jump the broomstick with me. That's a good man. Do, Cato, cause I never can love you. It was only last week that Massa sold my Sammy, and I don't want any other man. Do go tell Missus that you don't want me. To which Cato replied, No, Hannah, I ain't a gonna tell Missus no such thing, cause I does want you, and I ain't a gonna tell a lie for you nor nobody else. There, now you's got it. I don't see why you need to make so much fuss. I was better looking than Sam, and I was a house servant, and Sam was only a field hand, so you ought to feel proud of a change. So go and do as Mrs. tells you. As the woman retired, the man continued, Hannah needn't try to get me to tell a lie. I ain't a-gonna do it, cause I does want her, and I has been wanting her this long time, and soon as Massa sold Sam, I knowed I would get her. By golly, I's going to be a married man. Won't I be happy? Now, if I could only just run away from old massa and get to Canada with Hannah, then I'd show him who I was. Ah, uh, that reminds me of my song about old massa in Canada, and I'll sing it. This is my original hymn. It comed into my head one night when I was fast asleep under an apple tree looking up at the moon. 
while Hannah was getting ready for the nuptials, Cato amused himself by singing, "'The happiest day I ever did see, I'm bound for my heavenly home, when Mrs. give Hannah to me, through heaven this child will roam.'" Chorus "'Go away, Sam, you can't come anigh me. Going to meet my friends in heaven, Hannah is going along. Mrs. says Hannah is mine, so Hannah is going along. Chorus repeated. Father Gabriel, blow your horn, I'll take wings and fly away. Take Hannah up in the early morn, and I'll be in heaven by the break of day. Chorus. Go away, Sam, you can't come anigh me. Going to meet my friends in heaven, Hannah is going along. Mrs. says Hannah is mine, so Hannah is going along. Mrs. Gaines, as she approached the kitchen, heard the servant's musical voice, and knew that he was in high glee. Entering, she said, Ah, Cato, you're ready, are you? Where's Hannah? Cato. Yes, Mrs. I's been waiting this long time. Hannah's been here trying to sway me to tell you that I don't want her, but I tell her that you said I must jump the broomstick with her, and I is going to mind you. Mrs. Gaines. That's right, Cato. Servants should always mind their masters and mistresses without asking a question. Cato. Yes, Mrs. I allus does what you and Massa tells me, and axes nobody. While the mistress went in search of Hannah, Dolly came in, saying, "'Oh, Cato, do go and tell Mrs. that you don't want Hannah. Don't you hear how she's whipping her in the cellar? Do go and tell Mrs. that you don't want Hannah, and then she'll stop whipping her.' Cato. "'No, Dolly, I ain't a-gonna do no such a thing, cause if I tell Mrs. that I don't want Hannah, then Mrs. will whip me, and I ain't a-gonna be whipped for you, nor Hannah, nor nobody else. Nah." I'll jump the broomstick with every woman on the place if Mrs. wants me to, before I be whipped. Dolly. Cato, if I was in Hannah's place, I'd see you in the bottomless pit before I'd live with you, you great big wall-eyed, empty-headed, knock-kneed fool. You're as mean as your devilish old missus. Cato. If you don't quit that bussin' me, Dolly, I'll tell Mrs. as soon as she comes in, and she'll whip you. You know she will. As Mrs. Gaines entered, she said, You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Hannah, to make me fatigue myself in this way, to make you do your duty. It's very naughty in you, Hannah. Now, Dolly, you and Susan get the broom, and get out in the middle of the room. There, hold it a little lower, a little higher. There, that'll do. Now, remember that this is a solemn occasion. You are going to jump into matrimony. Now, Cato, take hold of Hannah's hand. There. Now, why couldn't you let Cato take hold of your hand before? Now, get ready, and when I count three, do you jump. Eyes on the broomstick. All ready? One, two, three, and over you go. There, now, your husband and wife, and if you don't live happy together, it's your own fault for I am sure there is nothing to hinder it. Now, Hannah, come up to the house, and I'll give you some whiskey, and you can make some apple toddy, 
and you and Cato can have a fine time. Now I'll go back to the parlor. Dolly. I'll tell you what, Susan. When I get married, I's going to have a preacher to marry me. I ain't going to jump the broomstick. That will do for field hands, but house servants ought to be above that. Susan. Well, child, you can't expect anything else from old missus. She come from down in Carolina, from among the poor white trash. She don't know any better. You can't expect nothing more than a jump from a frog. Mrs. says she's one of the acostocracy, but she ain't no more of an acostocracy than I is. Mrs. says she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. If she was, I wish it had a choked her. That what I wish. The mode of jumping the broomstick was the general custom in the rural districts of the South forty years ago. And as there was no law whatever in regard to the marriage of slaves, this custom had a binding force with the Negroes as if they had been joined by a clergyman, the difference being the one was not so high-toned as the other. Yet it must be admitted that the blacks always preferred being married by a clergyman. End of chapter 4 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.